Hello and welcome again to Oscar Mike Radio. I'm Travis, your host. Oscar Mike Radio is part of the Hubazoo Network. You can find out more on Hubazoo.com. I want to thank my sponsors, Joyce ASAC of ASAC Real Estate, um, Mark Holmes, Na Army National Guard veteran of Reapers Detailing and Power Washing, and my supporters, Simper Savage Salad Dressing, Bottom Gun Coffee, and Quezon Shaving Company. And I am just having a great time. We haven't even started the show yet, and my guests are already like high energy, full, full throttle. <laughs> this is great. I have, ladies and gentlemen, another set of law enforcement guests on Oscar Mike Radio. And yes, I'm a, I'm a military veteran show, but there's so much that is in common with us and law enforcement that um, I had to have them on. Paula Ann, thank you very much. I want to introduce, you know, the boys in blue from Arizona, Chris and Woody, who had, I got that right, who have had, who head up Brothers in Healing. Welcome to Oscar Mike Radio. Hey, thanks so much for having us. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. Yeah, thanks to Paula for setting this up. Really appreciate you, hon. Uh, Chris, you know, uh, Chris is here. Uh, we started Brothers in Healing some uh, time ago. Um, we got tired of the stats about uh, first responders and military. That's something we haven't caused. That's the number one we're dying is by suicide. And that's what we're trying to prevent. We lose 22, approximately 22 vets per day due to suicide. And our first responders, including um, our, our uh, brothers and sisters in the fire department, they're actually uh, in the lead right now for suicides. Really? And uh, it's a sad, sad fact that we're trying to change. Now, now what are the numbers? Is, is it similar to the military at 22 a day? Because it's a dangerous job, what you all do. But it's even more intense by the fact that a lot of law enforcement and first responders commit suicide. What are the actual numbers, if you have them, that you can share? I, I don't have them for this year because, or for last year, because they're still being tallied. And uh, okay, so. before I spit a number out and then get, you know, uh, for lack of a, a better term, hung on that number, um, I know that uh, I think uh, two years ago, I think it was 400 and 63 but the problem half the a lot of the problem is is the reporting of it you know so we have a lot of first responders who will overdose on on medication intentionally or alcohol and it gets little as an accidental death and that's not really the case of what's going on um but the numbers that are there you can go to bluelinehelp.org they keep track they try to keep track of all the true um reported suicides by our first responders and they're way up there uh it's very depressing to think about our first responders and military taking their own lives because they're hurting inside chris and i have been there we've both contemplating um going to the next level uh and committing suicide but we put ourselves through treatment through deer hollow treatment facility in utah they specialize in uh ptsd uh treatment and uh, thankfully, we're here. And I, um, I also had a friend who, who took his own life, and I had no clue he was even hurting. And that's what we're trying to change. So let me ask you all this before I go back into your, your, your time as in, in law enforcement. One of the things that I've heard, you know, in the military, but more so as a, as a law enforcement first responder, is if you go to your, your boss, for lack of a better term, or your supervisor and say, hey, I'm not right. Mm -hmm. it's my understanding that 
until very recently, or even now in certain, you know, precincts, if I'm getting that right, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're correct. That is a very, it's a career killer for lack of a better term. Yeah. You're, you're seen as broken. You're pulled off your, your, your beat, your duty, and you're put behind a desk and you're essentially made redundant, even though you're serving. Is, is that right? That, that's a hundred percent right. Especially, and the sad thing is, especially men in the profession, because, you know, you know, when you're in law enforcement in the military, you're supposed to be stoic. You're supposed to be able to handle everything you, you everything put to you. That's what you were trained to do. And that's what you're supposed to do. And so going through our careers, you're absolutely right. It's, we had to put everything behind us. If something happened, you know, we got, we got used to seeing the same thing over and over every day. And for me personally, it got to the point where I was afraid to talk to anybody. Even my best friend here, Woody, who we worked together for, you've known each other for 28, 29, 30 years. And I, I was afraid to tell him how, how much hurting I was. And because I didn't know if he would, you know, not go behind my back, but, you know, say something to somebody else and then they go to my sergeant or somebody else. And then they're like, Hey, okay, well, guess what, Chris, you're not well. So you can't have a gun. You can't be out there protecting our citizens. We're taking your gun away. We're taking your badge away. Um, whatever happens after that, when we get the report from the doctors, cause that's the other thing, you know, we don't, we don't, we didn't really trust our admin because it's so easy for them just to say, you're not fit. So move on. We'll get somebody else new. And we're really trying to break that stigma uh, and just, especially for admin out there, you know, hey, if you have somebody who's hurting, how about help them, make them feel assured themselves, let them get the help they need so they can come back healthy instead of the alternate. Well, you know, that's the thing, right? Because, you know, I was in the military and I sort of was not in combat, but, you know, we, we knew that we could go anytime, but let me ask you this. What's it like leaving your home? And if whether you take your patrol car home or, or not, or you're putting on that, you know, chest protector or not, what's it like stepping out the door realizing that, that you may not come home and have to carry that all day long, all, all the time, right? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll speak real quick for me. It's, you know, unfortunately, we get to a point where we don't think about that in your career. It's like, it's just your job. You get out and you leave. Now, of course, it does come up throughout every day when, when you're out there working. Um, I think the closest that I came to uh, is when I had my school shooting in Marysville, in 2014 in Marysville Pilchuck. And I was unable to get a hold of my wife and my family and friends. And I had like a, over 100 missed text messages and everything. And I think it was harder on them family and friends who knew I was at the high school and didn't know if I was, if I was taken out by the shooter or not, because no one could get a hold of me. Um, so it goes both ways. It, it does wear on us and it really does wear us down. Um, but we're very good at putting up a shield. You know, we're very good at, 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 at faking it every day and just going about our lives. Um, but when that, when that, that bottle or that, that uh, thing that fills up that we all have, when it overflows, you know, especially for police and fire and, and military, it overflows bad, like a, like a storm. And I think that's what kind of happens to us too. Well, if I, if I could sure. uh, talk about sure. that a little bit. Um, so Chris and I both served on SWAT. Uh, I was on SWAT for 12 years. Chris did a number of years as well. And I remember, I remember when, when that 
uh, analogy that you just brought up really hit home for me. My kid, my two boys had, um, they were six and eight. And uh, I knew I had a, a high risk search warrant the following day. So what I would do, I had a take home car, just like you articulated. I'd get out my gear, go through it, make sure everything was right, that the plates were in the Velcroed in, in the right area in case I got shot. Uh, I made sure my rifle was clean, ready to rock and roll. Everything was good to go. And my boys came out and I had everything laid out in the garage and I was going through my, my little checklist that I did uh, on the routine. And uh, they're like, wow, dad, this is really cool. And this, that, and the other. And I was like, yeah, you guys want to try my SWAT gear on? Hey, you know, uh, dad, uh, why, why are you doing this? You know, is is my day off, but I had to go to work the next day and I had to get up at 3.30 in the morning or to do this raid kind of thing. And and um, I, I show him, see, dad's well protected and here's my helmet and this, that, and the other. And my oldest boy, Caleb, he looked at me and he said, yeah, well, dad, what if you get shot in the face? There's nothing protecting your face. And I got to tell you, uh, I'm very superstitious. I don't, I don't like any kind of like negative energy before a rain. I don't want, I don't want to hear any of that shit, you know? And so, uh, I said, well, you know, dad's got a lot of training and experience, you know, I'll be okay. But that comment hit me because it made me realize that my family is very, very concerned about you. Right. I can pretend like it doesn't bother me. And I can pretend like when I put this vest on that, uh, you know, it's going to protect me from everything. And it's not, it's just, that's the reality. It's not. And um, my uh, daughter, uh, every day she would check in with me to see if I was okay. Is everything she, so she's actually my stepdaughter. I adopted her. She lost her bio dad. Uh, he had, he was uh, loading up his fishing boat, had a heart attack. So I came into her life at age nine. Well, she didn't want to go through another loss of losing a father figure. Right. So she would check in with me all the time. And I, I asked her one day, well, why, why are you doing that? Why, why do you keep checking on me? Of course I'm fine. I've got all this training experience and it dawned on me. She's afraid. She's fearful that she could lose another father figure in her life. As, as my son Caleb was when he said, well, dad, you could get shot in the face. And I knew that I just didn't dwell on it. And I think it's something that's there subconsciously that you don't really uh, think about every single day. And, and when you start to, uh, it really wears on you. And um, it did for me because uh, I became, uh, I didn't realize this at the time, and I'm gonna say this for the other first responders in the military, the easiest thing to do is become, is become task-oriented task or become a workaholic. Help everybody else out with their problems because then you don't have to focus on you. And that's what I did. Uh, see, because I was this rescuer that would go in and help everybody else with their own problems, but I wasn't dealing with my own. And that was the PTSD seed that was sprouting and growing on its own. And that's the thing about PTSD. You don't have to water it. You just have to show up for work. It'll grow on its own. You know, the weeds grow on their own. You don't got to water them or fertilize them or, you know, do anything. They'll just grow on their own. That's exactly what PTSD does. It starts to sneak up on you. And you can pretend that you're tough and that it doesn't bother you and that, hey, I signed up for this job. You can tell yourself the same things that I, I always did. Hey, I signed up for it. This is part of the, all part of the fun and games. Uh, but eventually it starts to wear on you a little bit. And that's exactly what happened with Chris and I. So did, did you all grow up together? You, you said you knew each other for like 30 years. Did you all grow up and go to high school and college together or, or, or no. did you meet? Okay. So you met professionally. Yeah. So I met Chris through a mutual friend when I was in college. I was in the criminal justice program, uh, getting my criminal justice degree. And there's this um, friend that was also that I had that was also in that in that same program. He's like, hey, you got to meet a friend of mine. At the time, 
um, I was, I had just gotten hired on, I think. Right. And we, we ended up working out together with the same friend in common that uh, Chris worked for Pepsi or Coke at the yeah. time. I had just gotten hired on with a, um, a local, uh, police agency. Uh, and that's when I first met Chris. So we, we didn't know our friend was doing steroids. Chris and I were, we couldn't put on weight to save our lives. We weighed what a buck 55 <laughs> at the time. Now we can put on weight, you know, we're over 40 now, but at the time we're sitting there doing the same workouts, but our friend is growing. <laughs> I mean, he's getting huge. And the workout consisted of uh, Chris and I just putting on, uh, you know, taking <laughs> plates off the bench press for him. We didn't know he was doing steroids at the time. We, we weren't about to do that because we both wanted to create in law enforcement. So we're going to do that. We, we, we love our, our, our health is important to us. So we weren't going to do that, but yeah, that's how we met. And so, uh, once, once we stopped kind of hanging out with him, you know, we kind of knew each other. And then, uh, Chris went from state patrol to, yeah, to, uh, one of the, one of the, yeah. one of the big things, how we met is that, so I became a state trooper not long after that. And, you know, we oh, all, right. we all have issues with our families and my family, uh, my sister and brother-in-law were involved in something very bad and, uh, they had arrested them. And my buddy Woody here, uh, was the detective and who was handling it. And uh, somehow I get a call. And so I come into their department and I'm like, dude, what's going on now? So, you know, we, we, we grounded together real early because of real family issues in the mm -hmm. criminal justice system. Not good, not, and not always good, but sometimes bad. So I think that's why our bond is like so strong because, you know, he treated my family so respectfully back then when it was their issue and they were the ones in jail. And it's like, Hey, here's what happened. And it's like, no, yeah, I don't hold anything against you. That's what you got to do. So <laughs> ever since then, <laughs> I forgot about that. Actually, <laughs> this, this is great. This is, this is how it's been from, I forgot. You, know, you got some good dirt going on here now. <laughs> oh shit. Let's dive into this one. <laughs> no, but but you know, it's, it's kind of like the military where you get with your crew, you get with your squad, your fire team, and then over time, you just gel. I mean, the only difference between you all and us is we we live, you know, eat, breathe, poop, you know, shower together. I mean, all the time. But uh, well, if I asked you to put a list together of people that you're willing to go into combat with, I know you could come up with a, with 10 people, maybe maybe five that you could totally count on. Well, Chris is right there on that list. I mean, you know, you can you know when you can rely on somebody and that right. you trust somebody 100 percent. That's that's why our friendship has lasted this long because it's true it's been it's been tested and I know for a fact there's no question when you find someone like like that in life you don't let them go absolutely absolutely so as you're going through your career <laughs> you you mentioned that you you got very very close but one of you didn't know the other one was suffering so what happened. When it be, when when it started to be like you know I can't hold this in anymore I've got to get help. How did all that unfold? Like really yeah, uh, really good question. I, I I like how you're prying and you're getting to the to the really good stuff. This is a really enjoyable interview because this is exactly what we need. Tell them how yeah. what actually what happened. So it, it so I kind of hit on it already. Um, October twenty fourth, twenty fourteen. Um, I had one of my freshman students um, stand up and execute four other of his classmates and then himself uh, right before I ran into the cafeteria because I, I had they, I was getting this notification that there was a school shooting in my cafeteria but I couldn't hear because um, thousands of kids are running throughout the campus and screaming and I could not hear my radio and so no one would tell me what was going on until I get in there and then you know when you when you walk into this scene of freshmen uh, uh, sorry uh, 
it, it, it really hits you. And I thought I was totally strong and I did what I had to do. Um, and I, I thank God that I didn't have to put this student down. He took himself. Um, but then we started, I went home finally that night and to me, I was like, yep. Oh, I'm all good. I go, it was Friday. I go back to work on Monday or Tuesday. And it, it was Woody who showed up on Saturday or Sunday. I think Saturday he showed up at my doorstep and, you know, when we do our presentations, you know, I like, I like him to tell what it was because I can't do justice, but he's like, man, when I showed up, Chris, you were, you were just a white ghost. You didn't see me. You looked right through me. And because I was still trying to process in my brain, what, what had just gone on. And, and uh, he's like, so how are you doing? I'm like, Oh, I think I'm doing great. And you know, I'll see you at work on Monday or Tuesday. He goes, the hell you will. He goes, you're not going back to work. Um, and I'm like, no, no, I got to go back to work. And he says, he goes, no, I'm, I'm telling you, you're not going to work. You're going to take, you're taking this, this time off to, to at least heal yourself. Luckily for me, the school took the whole week off, you know, to mourn because I mean, I'll be damned if, if, if the, if the students were going to be back in school that day, you would have to shoot, you would have to kill me to keep me from going to that school. Cause if these students can go back to school, I, I was damn sure going to be at that school to help protect as much as I could. But it was at that moment that I realized, you know what, Chris, you're, you're not, you're not Superman. You're not God. You're not, you know, not that I ever thought I was, but you know, we have to put on this protective armor that that's how strong we are. And, and it made me sit back and realize that, yeah, okay. We are human and we do need help. And this is not normal. No human being should ever have to go through this. And I think for me, that was where my journey started. Cause that's where my, that's where my pot overboiled and overflowed and everything. And it took me a little bit longer to finally seek help. Cause I still thought I was, I was that strong and I was willing to do it. Um, but you know, when you're at school crying in front of students, when you're at school, you know, breaking down with students who are having issues and you're going home and your, your relationship's not going right. And you're out, you know, Woody and I can, we can throw a party. Uh, it, him and I, but we can, we can mask everything and, and have, we can be the, the, the center of a party. Um, but it took a little while, but it was Woody who actually got me on my journey to where I think I finally went and sought and, and got help. You both mentioned though, that you had to get help at certain points in your career. So, you know, what's your story? What, what's, I've heard, you know, how does that work? Uh, my story, you, you, you want to, okay. So, so uh, I, I, I'll, I'll bring you back to, um, since we're taking our time here, which I really appreciate, I love this because uh, I remember before I even started my career in law enforcement, I had to do an internship with uh, this uh, city of Everett, which borders the agency that I work for. And these old veterans, I, I worked in the special investigations unit and they said, uh, listen, young man, you know, you're 22 years old. You're about ready to start your career. I just, I'd gotten my acceptance letter. Hey, you're going to be a police officer here. We just want to give you a final word of advice. And I'll never forget uh, these old salty veterans sitting around. And they said, hey, Woody, we just want to let you know, law enforcement will change you. It's going to, it's going to forever change you. And I remember thinking, I'm Irish Norwegian. I'm stubborn as can be. You're, nothing's going to change me. You don't know what the F you're talking about, you know, kind of thing. And I look at these guys and I'm, I'm, I'm. What do they know? Yeah, what are they? I'm going to be real with you. The, the, the ego kicked in and the arrogance that I had at the time, you know, I thought I knew everything. And I was like, there's no way. I didn't drink coffee at the time. I didn't drink any energy drinks at the time. I just. You know, I would, I would make sure I had my gallon of water and, you know, stay true to that. Well, they said, you're going to, a couple things, you're going to be addicted to caffeine. You're going to be addicted to night shift for a while and law enforcement will change you. You're going to become a little cynical. And I was like, there's no way, you know, there's no way. 
And uh, they were 100% correct. And um, how it started for me was basically um, seeing trauma over and over again. And then in my, uh, I don't know, it was year five or seven when I joined our TAC team at the time, we weren't a full SWAT team. We ended up getting a call on a, a guy who was uh, armed with a SKS rifle. He had taken his uh, girlfriend or fiance hostage and he was going to do basically a uh, murder suicide with her. And he did, he popped a bunch of pills. It was uh, right across the street from a, uh, um, a middle school. The school was in lockdown and uh, the cops, you know, they tried to uh, negotiate with him the best they could and we couldn't get anything uh, to work out. And, uh, they put a team together and we tried to negotiate with him. And um, basically what ended up happening is he came out after scouting our positions. He had his rifle to his uh, own face underneath his chin like this. And he came out and he uh, scouted out all of our positions where we were at on the tack team. And the third, he did this uh, twice. He came out like that twice. And the third time he came out shooting and he knew exactly where I was. And uh, thankfully I was quick on the trigger and, um, I, I was able to isolate the threat, stop the threat. It didn't feel good taking someone else's life. I'm thankful to be here, but I will never forget what that sounded like having that SKS rifle go off and around uh, go over my head there. And um, the images that I saw, you just can't undo. And, and um, uh, you know, I, I went the media, of course, was uh, wanting to get an interview with me. I, the news helicopters are flying over. I was off work for three or four months. There was a lack of communication. Nobody knew quite what to do with me. We hadn't had a shooting in our department since 1960, I believe, mm -hmm. where, where an officer was killed on a DV uh, related call, but nothing, nothing like this before. And, um, uh, you know, basically the way we treated it was, uh, you know, I was, I was raised by some of the left, left one guys, you know, that were hanging on there. I was old school. I was raised old school. You get right back on the horse. I was like, Chris, I wanted to get back to work. That's what we were conditioned to do. Right. You signed up for this. You get back on the horse, uh, go do your job. Don't bitch or complain and get back out there and do what you signed up to do. Well, you know, uh, there was a, there was a half gallon of whiskey put on my windshield of my personal vehicle. I don't know to this day. I don't know who sent it there. I did drink it. Uh, but the <laughs> note said, uh, it said, uh, glad you're okay. Hurry back to work. And that's the way we dealt with things, you know, on the force, there was no meet with a psychologist. I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. The thought of meeting with a psychologist and, and, uh, deal with all the psycho babble and talk about your inner, inner wounded child. I was like, <laughs> Yeah. It, it, it was, it was a joke. I thought it was, I thought it was a joke. Anyway, uh, I now see the importance and I see the wisdom in doing, in doing that. And I, and I now see how, um, you know, important that really is. Okay. So now, now we're going to fast forward a little bit. I'm off work the same year. I come back to, I come back, uh, you know, I was cleared of the shooting justifiable. I'm back to work. Now I'm in a fight for my life. The suspect has beaten up his mom. He beat up two sheriff's deputies and the sheriff's deputies called for help. And I happened to be at the time a mile and a half down the road. And I responded to this call and I'll never forget walking in the door and seeing this adult male who was a violent offender who we'd arrested numerous times, dressed in women's underwear. His nails were painted. He had pepper spray all over his face, blood dripping off of his face. I saw the two deputies exhausted, 
trying to gasp for air because the whole room apartment, it's an apartment filled with pepper spray. They had nothing left. They had no fight left in them. They gave everything they had and they still couldn't subdue him. And he was ready to fight. And I'll never forget. I gave him a, this groin stomp because he had kicked, he kicked me in the, in the uh, groin as well. And he looked at me and he growled in this demonic voice. And I just thought, what in the world am I going to do to this guy? I just started jujitsu, thank, thankfully. So I, I had some training and experience of uh, ground fighting, and it, re it really did pay off. Anyway, I fought with this guy, and I, I, uh, I ended up uh, feeling him grab for my gun. And I remember in the academy, they told me, if your gun gets removed by a suspect, there's an 85% chance you will die. And I remember feeling that all my jujitsu moves and all my wrist locks and all other BS that they teach you at the academy isn't working. I, I don't know what else to do here. And now he's grabbing for my gun. You know, my thought was maybe I'm going to have to give him my gun, you know, one round at a time. And his mom, who he beat up, is in her nightgown and she's watching this entire fight take place. And the, the empathy and the, the sympathy that I had for her while I'm fighting with her son, I'll never forget. Although he's a suspect, I never want to watch. I want. I know. I would never want a mom to to watch her son pass away in front of her like that. And um, well, you're you're, we, you're essentially fighting for your life at this point. This is not an exaggeration. Like if you don't stop this guy, he's going to hurt you. You're you're the two previous 100%. officers are just, and I get it that you guys got nothing left. This guy is not going down. Travis, I watched those deputies try to get back in the fight and I watched them punch. They were so exhausted. They had no force left in their punch. It had no effect on this guy. We didn't know it at the time, but he had, he had uh, ingested cocaine, meth, and heroin all at once. And that's why he felt no pain. And I wasn't certified in the rear naked choke in Washington state where we're from. Our governor has since taken that away from us. It's the biggest mistake he could have made. It's one of the best, the blood choke, uh, the Gracie's do it. Judo people do it. Hundreds of kids show up for jujitsu class and they do it. That's since been taken away from us. Had I been certified in that, I could have taken his back because I had it numerous times. I just wasn't certified in the choke. At that time it was considered quote unquote lethal force. Um, I was, on this line of how far do I take this thing? And what, uh, unbeknownst to me, his heart ended up exploding. I didn't know that at the time, but I had my hands on him when he took his last breath and his mom watched him take his last breath. And, um, I remember that feeling of his energy leaving his body and that to this day will never leave me. Uh, it didn't feel good. I, I know he was a, a bad guy and I, I agree hundred percent with everything you have said. I also worked undercover narcs. And I've seen people under the uh, heavily addicted to narcotics turn their life around. And five years from now, they're this great person. They have a family now. And they, that's my hope. I'm, I'm very empathetic towards people who are down the wrong path, but can change their life around. And uh, I thought we were just going to be trading blows. You know, I'm Irish Norwegian. I, I'm not uh, I'm not against having a good knockdown drag out fight. Uh, I was scared. Uh, I didn't want him to die. And, and um, I did have, a, uh, so now, so now I want you to think about this. I just went through the shooting three months ago, three, four months ago. I'm back to work a month and now I've just taken another person's life and I'm off work again. Well, I was forced to see a psychologist, uh, uh, except this time 
it was more like checking the box. Uh, I saw one, it was a uh, fit for duty or return to duty, quick little 45 minute interview with the psychologist, nothing big. Just, they just want to, you know, say, Hey, are you okay to go get back to work? And of course I'm going to say yes, because uh, I was too afraid at that time of how I would look towards other people. I didn't want to feel weak inside. And I want to let you know, I was raised, I was raised in a family that said, well, what are you crying about? I'll give you something to cry about. We don't, we didn't talk about our emotions, right? You work through them, right? My grandfather fought in World War II, and he was a very instrumental um, father figure in my life. And he was tough as nails. And there was no sitting down and whining and complaining about this, that, and the other. And my father the same way. So that's what I did. I sucked it up. I didn't go seek help. I met with a psychologist because I was forced to. Well, the other officers who responded to the call, they all put us in the same room together. <laughs> Big no-no, because how do, how do you want to open up and be transparent uh, in front of your own coworkers? You know, you're, you're putting on that fake mask, like, oh, I'm okay. I'm totally fine, you know, kind of thing. Everybody played that role. And we're good. Law enforcement, military, we're good at playing that role. I'm okay. I'm fine. Uh, because that is actually a protector that we have inside that stands up because there's a job to do and you got to do it. And you don't want to be taken off your mission until you're ready right? Because you want to be in control of that. And so that's what goes on with law enforcement and first responders and military, in my, in my opinion, is that's your way of trying to stay in control. Your protector will show up and say, you're totally fine. You got to work through it. You signed up for this. PTSD is for Vietnam veterans who have seen multiple tours. It's not for you. It's not for you people. It's not for firefighters or paramedics or police officers. You know, we're not out there in the, jun in the jungles of Vietnam and napalm everywhere and mustard gas and this that and the other you know that's what you tell yourself it's a lie you tell yourself this lie though <laughs> well let me, let me let me ask you this way before we go into you know how you all got help real help it seems to me that from both your stories there's these moments in time you know situations that that were ptsd causing or catalyst if you will but also you both have alluded to that in, in your careers, there's been things gradually building up as time has gone on. Mm -hmm. the, the daily, you know, seeing humanity at its absolute lowest really pushes you to a different place. And it's hard to, to, to get out of that, that, that rut. Is that an aspect too, that you all deal with? Oh, I, I think that's the ultimate. I think, mm -hmm. I think, you know, our, our, my school shooting was the event that I think pushed me over the edge which I think would push anyone over the edge, but I want you to, I want you to think of 20 years um, for me, 22 for Woody as a police officer. There's not a day that goes by that you're not, every time we get called, it's that person's worst day of their life. Basically there's, there's, you know, they don't call 911 cause they want to see Chris and Woody come up or in uniform or they want to see the police officers just show up, you know? So we, we deal with these and then you have, you have all the, the deaths, you know, the, the, the simple car crashes where, you know, kids die um, and, and you'll hear a phone ringing and you'll look at it on the floor and it'll, it'll say mom. And, you know, you can't answer that because you're investigating his death. Um, our suicides, you know, I, I mean, hangings really got me. I, I don't know why, but they really got me for suicides. And, you know, when you have these and some, I had one where he had a, a, a note, he, he taped a note to his chest explaining why he did this in his garage. Um, you know, and, and I think it's just these things compiled day after day, mm -hmm. even if no one's dying, you go to these domestic violences and mm -hmm. you're arresting the, the, usually, usually the male, it's not always the male, but usually the male. And half the time you're, you're arresting this male. And now 
now the female, the girlfriend, wife, whatever, is now trying to fight us because, well, that's the breadwinner. And so now you start, now you're like, okay, why am I arresting this guy? He just beat the shit out of that person. But now she or he is protecting their partner. And just all these things that happen yeah. every day. And you hear about the stories and you hear about the, the, the rapes when they come in and mm. the assaults and the, mm. the robberies. And, you know, mm. those are the things that I think really take our toll. And I know, and I know, you know, Woody, he, he does a good job, you know, when he was a detective and he explains the stuff, but, you know, when you go to a child death, you know, we, we, we always were like, okay, well, if it's an adult and they died in the back of my mind, I'd be like, you know what? Hey, they lived a decent life. They, they, they're adults, whatever. But when a child would pass, you know, and those happen more often than people know. Um, and, and when you have these kind of things happen day after day, it, it literally, it, I mean, it, it wears on you. I mean, it's like, it's like you're a punching bag and you're just getting punched every day, all day long for your, your, your career. Well, when you're wearing those set of lenses and you're going out every day and you're experiencing true evil, true evil, meaning like uh, a young kid who's a rape victim repeatedly by a bio dad or a stepdad or, a, or someone that they know, and they've been manipulated. And, you know, for a fact, as a detective, there's, there's no evidence because they're reporting this, the victim's reporting it six years later. And now you have this burden on you to do this great interview and try to get a confession because that's all the case hangs on. And you don't get that confession. That shit wears on you because you second guess yourself. Because I, I remember there was one case that I couldn't get a confession on and I had no evidence. I believed her to a T no doubt in my mind, this person did it and I couldn't, couldn't get a confession and they got away with it. And what message did that send to that little girl? I, I finally asked for help. I had the courage to come forward, but nothing was done. And I, I, I looked at her and her mom in the eye and so this, justice so was not served. Justice so was not served. When you face evil day, day in and day out, that's going to wear on you as a police there, officer. There's a, cost. There's, huh? a co there's a cost for what oh. you all do. Yeah, and you th you think you can lay your 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 head and uh, on, on your pillow at night and go to sleep even when you gave a hundred percent effort? No, you can't. No, you can't. Stop telling yourself that lie. You're gonna fail. You just have to accept that you can't win every single battle. And that was the biggest thing for me is I played to win, especially for for the victims. That's why I became a police officer. I was very very passionate about uh, suppressing evil the best I could and finding justice for these victims. And when you can't do that because of the loopholes in the system, or just because there isn't enough evidence, it sucks. And that is not easy to go to get over. That's something that they didn't talk about in the Academy. And that's something that you just, you have to deal with. And I think about my brothers and sisters out there, given the, the best, doing the best that they can and just not getting the results that they want sometimes. And it just sucks. It sucks. This all builds up. Oh, hundred percent. Talking about it right now. I'm so pissed right now. If I could find that guy right now, I'm not a police officer anymore. I'd probably lose my retirement though. But yeah, I mean, he's guilty. I know he's guilty. I could tell. I just couldn't get the, what the courts needed. It has to be a preponderance of an evidence. I was almost there and I just couldn't, I couldn't get it. And it haunts me to this day. I got to let it go. But I think about this little girl often. And I, I just think about how that, how that, um, you know, repeated violence and evil has changed her life forever. It's, it's sick. So when you deal with society and your set of lenses is dealing with evil on a nonstop basis, that's going to wear on you. 
It really is. Even if you, if you're okay, even if, even if you haven't been shot at or your life hasn't been in danger per se, even though it most likely has, but you, you brush it off. I mean, dealing with evil over and over again, it's going to impact you. We'll get into why I think justice is blind. You know, the, the scales are, she's blind for a reason, right? But you take all this on and there's a cost exacted from you every day. These events happen to you, your career happens to you. And you both said you got to a point where you needed help. Now, now one thing I just want to clear, did you guys go through the same program together and get help at the same time or did you get help individually? So, you know, it's not funny, but our, our store, I mean, it, it, this just shows you how powerful being uh, afraid to tell somebody that you need help is. Because like, yeah. like we said, we've known each other for 29, 30 years. We work together on the same crew. They took us off a of cruise because we work so well together. And they're like, well, you guys are both leaders. So they, they, they split us up through our career to different crews. <laughs> he knows. So, yeah. <laughs> so you get it. We were... <laughs> We, we, when we when yeah. we were working in schools, I was at my high school. He was at the other high school. So we we've mirrored each other so much, and and it just gets to the point where you know they would take us apart just because we worked so well. But you know we didn't let that diminish our friendship and everything. And so I was I was coaching. So MP where my shooting was, that's where I graduated from that high school. That's where I met my wife. She graduated from that school. Um, and so I have a lot of history with this high school. The staff, some of the staff were still there. Well. I played basketball there. So the head coach at the time was a year younger than me when I was in high school, he was younger than me uh, by a year. And I remember just thinking, you know what, the son of a bitch is playing over me. He's only a junior. I'm a senior. I'm, I'm way, you know, I thought I was, I thought I was a Michael Jordan back in high school, which I look back now. Yeah. He was way better than I was. Um, and he deserved to play, but you know what? My ego back then didn't allow that. And so I volunteered for my six years. I coached the basketball team with, with him. Cause I said, Hey, can I volunteer my time? Well, this had been going on and going on and we were on a retreat with the team. And I remember I got a phone call from one of the guys at work and I can't remember what it was about, but it was something so stupid. And it was about something like, well, you did this wrong, Chris, and we need to whatever. And it was another thing that boiled over on me. And I just said, I can't deal with this anymore because everything was going on. And so I made a phone call and I said, I need to get help right now, or I'm not going to be here tomorrow. And luckily we had a friend who on our department who went to this place, Deer Hollow, prior to all of us. Um, and so I called my sergeant and luckily he, he was a very, he was an awesome guy. And so he made a phone call, called him and he gave me a call and he says, all right, Chris, well, I'll get you on. A, if you want to go, I'll get you on a plane on Friday. This was Thursday. And I'm like, well, we don't get back till tomorrow. I need to go. If I do this one, I'm, give me some time, give me a week or two, because, you know, I, I can't just up and leave. And then about, Two minutes later, when I hung up the phone, I know me, I'm a procrastinator big time. And I told myself, Chris, if you don't do this now, you're not going to do it because I, I'm good at pushing stuff off. And I called him back and I said, I can be ready Sunday night or Monday morning. Let me just get home and, and gather myself, talk to my wife, my kids. He had me on a plane Monday morning to go to, to Utah. Well, that Saturday or Sunday, I sent Woody a text. Didn't want to call him. And said, hey, dude, sorry, I'm not going to have a phone for about 30 days or so. I'm going to be out of town, uh, but I'll get a hold of you when I get back. And so, sudden, so what, do you, what, what do you like? I mean, since you guys are like bros and buddies and, and work partners, were you like, what WTF? What the, What's going on? Yeah. Uh, no, I was like, this has to be something like serious because okay. uh, I, well, I, I knew him so well. I was like, okay, what the, 
what the f is going on here but i mean let's be real this is weird uh but i, I had this intuition i kind of knew in a way because we we were we were we'd done everything else we could think of to try to help our ptsd and what was going on inside like <laughs> i'm not gonna lie to you like we we uh, we would hang out together and party and just sit and talk and, and you drink and you know this that and the other and our mentality was completely off. It was completely uh, wrong. You know, we, 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 weren't, we weren't being champions like we were meant to be. We weren't really being leaders that we, that we could have been at the time. So I was a little surprised, but I was also like, I was scheduled to go to treatment, but I also had a little secret that I wasn't telling him either until I was actually going. So I was like, in my mind, I was like, did this, this SOB beat me to treatment? Like... <laughs> That, there's a thought and, and so go ahead yeah. Yeah, so yeah that's what was going on in my mind and i was right <laughs> and, and it was because he, he sent me these texts you know he's trying to dick you know he's a detective very good detective what do you mean you know uh you know whatever and i said okay dude i i, I said i'm embarrassed to say this i said but i'm going to deer hollow and i think as soon as i said that he he did he goes you son of a bitch i was scheduled to go there and 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 whatever and and so, and it was, it was, it was, it's a, we look back now and it's, it's funny. It's a funny story. It's a great story. We both, we both laugh about it all the time. And once I got there and started getting help, you know, is when uh, I got a, I got a call or something. I can't remember what it was, but when I was in the treatment place and uh, they're like, well, uh, your buddy Woody, you know, wants to come into to treatment and we don't want to let him or whatever. And I go, what do you mean you want to let him? Oh, let him come in here. Cause they were worried because we knew each other so well that we wouldn't open up in front of everybody. Well, I'll tell you this. So I was in my, I was into my fourth week, my last week, and they, they, they pulled me out of, out of class. And I'm sitting there going, well, at a, at a, at a session, I'm like, what the hell did I do wrong? Why am I getting, you know, <laughs> I felt like I was in high school. Why am I getting pulled out of the classroom? And they said, Hey, so uh, Woody really needs to come in this week. Um, and he needs, he needs to get his help too. We just want to make sure that, that that's okay with you. And I went, well, I told you guys when I first got here, he could have came day one. And, and they said, well, we want to make sure because we didn't know what would happen. Well, we proved it because he came in. My last week was his first week and overlapped. And that first week when you're in there, you have to go through this timetable from zero years old until now. And every five years it has to be broken up. And whatever trauma you thought you had, you had to write it down and relive it. And it, it's, it's probably one of the hardest things that I've had to do so far. And I was up there and they said, well, well, Chris, will you be up? So I went up and I was the one writing on the board, everything that he would say and all of his traumas and everything that he, he was saying it. And he gets about halfway through and uh, he starts moving on. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on, Woody. What, what about this? What about this? You know, because we knew each other so What well. about this incident? And you told me, you, he's, he's calling me out. And, you know, I wasn't trying to lie or hide anything. It just, when your brain. It seemed like it was a problem at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, forget about it. What are you doing here? You know, like, what are you? I thought, hey, I thought you had my back. And he's like, oh, don't forget about this trauma that you told me about. And he's I'm worse than a wife, Woody. He's worse <laughs> than a wife. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, no. A hundred percent. You know, wow. and, and uh, he's like, oh, well, I'm thankful he did. You know, but I think uh, looking at that moment, you know, uh, I was so nervous. And, and when your brain is over firing and you're reliving all this trauma, your brain is only, only going to let you remember certain things that's just the way your brain works thankfully the uh, psychologist that was there 
uh, my, you get uh, assigned a personal psychologist. She could tell I was trying to be transparent and vulnerable and open. I wasn't trying to skirt the system or do anything shady. She, she could see I was struggling, but oh, Chris, oh yeah, don't forget about this event. Remember, you told me about this one and we're in front of other people. Now, I'm, Chris is more of an open book. I'm private. I don't want to open up and be transparent and vulnerable in front of you. I want to, um, you know, my, my old way, my, uh, my old self used to be, I want to give you whatever image or perception I feel like you deserve at this moment in time, right? Until we start becoming closer. I'm not going to open up until, well, I'm in front of all these people, <laughs> these other people who are there for treatment. What is there, 12 not, people? Not even, not all only like a couple law enforcement, maybe a firefighter, just normal folks too. So, yeah. And so, uh, you know, you want me to be open and vulnerable from all these people. It's a, it was a tough task. I'm grateful that I did it because now, now it's not a big deal. Now we can have these real conversations with you, Travis, and be open and transparent and vulnerable and help other people because of that. Well, certainly the point of this is certainly the point of this. And, and, and I hope, you know, other veterans, law enforcement, first responders that watch the show, you know, can do that. And, and before we go into Brothers in Healing, what you all formed, kind of take me through what was it like to finally work through and unburden yourself of all this weight you were carrying all that time? Well, you know, one of the things that Chris and I don't do is sugarcoat. And um, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you it was great. I'll give you this word picture uh, so that we're being transparent here. For me, it was like going over to a hornet's nest grabbing the beehive, shaking it, and all these bees are coming out. Now, all this trauma that I've dealt with my entire life, and they're all stinging me. And now I got I to gotta take and deal with each bee individually. And it takes work. And it's worth it. 100%. It was worth all the everything. Oh, yeah. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, it, you know, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I really do believe... It, it, I believe it saved my marriage for one thing. Um, I was close to probably not being there. I was being risky, doing stupid stuff. Uh, I was ignoring family. I was ignoring friends. I wasn't talking to anybody. Um, I wouldn't return calls. I would drink myself to sleep. Um, so to finally get to get through that and, and get through the treatment and, and start to learn. And it's not just, you, you know, you finish your 30, 35 days. You're like, oh God, yes, I'm healed. I'm done. No, that, those, that, that month or so, what that did is it gave us tools mm -hmm. on how to continue to help things. Because when you go back into the workforce, when you go back on the field, when you go back into life, when you go back into your marriage, when you go back to your kids, you're still dealing with those same things, those same issues that are happening. It's just now we have this, these tools on, okay, I can, let me take care of this. this I'm going to take care of this now. I learned how to deal with it in, in, a, in a positive way instead of a what I thought was a great way uh, <laughs> some ways, but they, they, they weren't so great. Um, so it really taught us how to live life again mm -hmm. and, and deal with these things that are happening because things happened after that. I mean, we still went to calls. We still went to things that happened um, that, that made me, you know, made me question life even after I went through treatment. You know, um, I had a couple of things that happened, but it, it, it opens your eyes and it gives you the tools to, to live again, I think is the best way to put it. 100%. Look, you're either in a storm coming out of one or heading towards one. Nobody is immune from that. What treatment does is it gives you the tools to deal with that, yeah. period. So out of all this, you go through this, we're going to call it together, you know, plus, you know, the Marine, he's like, okay, they did it together. But you, yeah. you, do, it, you do it together and you come yeah. out of this and you, you go back to life and you start living again. 
when did the seed start getting planted in your minds that you know what we can take our experience and build this brother brothers in healing organization to take this further go ahead i remember i remember the exact probably almost the exact day so not long after my school shooting i was asked you know by um the sro conferences hey would you come and speak about your shooting and i'm i'm like go eat shit no i'm not going to i'm not going to sit and talk about you know ch children who died and, and the things that i went through because that was such a personal thing you know and, and i appreciate what he's saying i i felt like i was an open book a lot but when you get something like that right there i'm like there's no way that i'm going to do something that's going to exploit in my mind talking about it exploited these these children's lives and their families and everything like that and i was like there's no way i'm going to do that um but i don't remember i i was talked into it and I said, you know what? Okay, I'll talk about my event and, and explain what I went through and what I was feeling, all that kind of stuff. And luckily, Woody was there with our with our sergeant at the first time I ever did it. And I remember when I got done, he came up and uh, him and the sergeant were like, "Man, no way! We could, I couldn't have done that. How, how'd you get up there and do that?" And I remember just going, "I don't know. Um, I mean, it was hard. It took me probably about an hour and a half to, to talk for forty five minutes because you know, crying and, and stopping, and then." People came up to me and started saying, thank you so much for this. You know, I really appreciate that. And I think that's what gave me life. And then we were on a call. Well, so, and this is how it happened. So during the summer times, I got, I got us back on bike patrols and I loved riding, riding pedal bikes and, and in, in my shorts and being out in the sun and working. Oh, what he does. And he likes having his AR-15 right next to him. Um, and, and air uh, conditioning. I mean, come on. Yeah, air conditioning. Hello. <laughs> yeah. So here we are. We're we're on a we're on a we just clear a call south end of town where it's not the best part of town. And I'm on the bike and he pulls up his car and we get done. And we're standing in the middle of the road, like second street and Cedar Avenue, I think it was, or or mm -hmm. beach. And we're sitting there talking, and Woody's like, dude, we've got to do something. We've got to come up what we can do and, and, and try to help people. And uh I was like, You're right, man. And what are we gonna do? And I don't remember if it was that day. It was that day. That day, he's like, what about Brothers and Healing? And I'm like, that's genius. Excuse me. And so from that day, we said, well, what do we do? And, you know, oh. I'm going to let Woody explain his part because he does it good, how it kind of formed everything. Well, <laughs> me walking up to Chris, you know, he's on his bike, you know, and I'm like, really? I mean, you know, when someone needs a backing unit, do you want to wait for a, a bicycle, <laughs> an officer on a bike to get there? Let's be real. So I was like, screw you. I was you. in really good shape. So, I got this. Uh, he did. I'll give him credit. <laughs> so you do the air conditioning with the AR. It's a win-win. You stay in your car. Come on, man. You know, and then, uh, so anyway, but uh, the catalyst for me was, uh, I kind of mentioned, I lost a good friend of mine named Matt and he worked for the city of Everett. And I remember he was the one who taught me how to be undercover narcs. You know, I was 22 and I, I bought meth heroin and cocaine for the first time for the purpose of serving a narcotics related search warrant and trying to put an end to this drug house. Right. And he became a mentor to me and he, he had such a great sense of humor. He'd walk in the room, just light up the room. And he was always funny. And this whole thing, I had no clue he was hurting. So when he suck started his own duty weapon, it was a shock to me. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe he was hurting that bad. And uh, we went to this training it was mandatory training. I know you got this kind of crap in the military. They force you to go to this training. You don't want to be there in the first place. You've already been there a couple of years already. And the program was called Target Zero. And the goal was to reduce officer uh, in the line of duty deaths uh, by to, the, to zero for a full year. That's their goal. Well, that sounds great. Well, I, I sit through this entire training and not one time did they ever even 
talk about the number one way that we're losing our first responders by suicide. So if you really want to stop officer-related su- officer deaths, you have to talk about the number one way we're killing ourselves, right? By our own weapon? Nope, no mention of that. Well, I, be, I was pissed. I told Chris, we're not talking about this. We're not dealing with this like we should. We got to do something about it. I don't want to see another officer take their own life. Chris and I have both been hurting. We, yes, we've had those thoughts. Yes, we've thought about ending our lives. I was raised religiously. Why would I want to stay on this earth? Heaven is paved with streets of gold, right? Well, why would I want to stay down here and hurt and suffer when I could go to the next level, where I can go to heaven, so to speak? Uh, so that was the mindset. And I, I thought, wait a minute, we're, we're here for a reason, a purpose, although I don't quite know exactly what that is. Uh, I do know what our purpose is, and it was very clear to me, we have to make a change, we have to make a difference, we have to be transparent, we have to put ourselves out there, be open and vulnerable so other people can see, hey, these guys were hurting too, these guys were warriors, they didn't want to admit they had a problem, they tried to fix it themselves too, it didn't work, and I thought, what a better way, we can sit here and bitch or we could do something, and that's how I came up to him on that call, and I said, we just got to do something, I was pissed about the training, you know, it was a waste of time, they told us, slow down, before you go through intersections, yeah, okay, thanks. Make sure your red and blue lights are on, okay, yeah, thanks. Make sure you wear your seatbelt, yeah, okay, thanks. 360 awareness, yeah, okay, thanks. You ever, you ever been on night shift before? Try 360 awareness. You can't even see, you can't see 50 yards behind you in the dark, you know? It's like, okay, yeah, thanks. But let's talk about some real relevant raw, uh, you know, facts and data that's going on. We're just, we're, we're killing ourselves. We're our own worst enemy. So let, let's make a difference. That's how we got started. You want, you want to know what it was like? Picture Dumb and Dumber trying to start a nonprofit. Okay? <laughs> that is the honest truth. We didn't have a freaking clue. But when you feel passionate about something and you want to do it, you just find a way to get it done. That's what we did. So you, you we took filled action. out, the paper. you, you took we filled out this paperwork, the IRS paperwork. It's a freaking nightmare. Uh, we got through it somehow, some way. We did it. We're a certified nonprofit. We've got our uh, federal, and we're a true nonprofit. We don't, we, don't take, we don't take a dime. We give it all back to help other people. And that feels good. And speaking of helping other people, because that's what Brothers in Healing is about. Mm-hmm. Tell me what it's like when you, you've done the work, you, you, you're working a full-time job, you you're, you're got married kids, you know, other obligations, and you're doing this. And, and, the, and the nonprofit is its own baby to care and feed. But what's it like when you see Brothers in Healing get a win, for lack of a better term? Uh, yeah, that gave me goosebumps because, you know, because we always do that. We think about it. It's, uh, oh, I mean, it's, it's amazing. You know, uh, we'll, we'll get a phone call. And so we, we first started out trying to raise funds by, by speaking because we, we do a two-hour presentation. And we, that's our passion is to share our stories and, and about what we do. We we'll go through our whole life. We don't just talk about um, our, our careers. Like I talk about my son, he's been a heroin addict since 15 years old. He's 28 years old. He's been clean for the longest now for six months. Um, is on the other side of the United States finally. He's been in jail more than he was out of jail at home. Um, I had all of his friends living with us because their families were horrible. And yet all these kids that lived with horrible families are all great, they, great products of society now. And my own son has struggled up until this last six months of his whole life. I'm like, what do we do wrong? Issues with things that happened to my daughter at college me and my wife, just things like that. So we, we talk about our whole, our life and how we got to where we are. And, you know, it's, it, it, we got tired of like begging people, Hey, we please let us come speak because we, this is what we want to do and we're passionate. So now we had to start um, raising money, but I will tell you this, 
after we went through Deer Hollow, we vetted them 100%. So we know what they're about and we know them. And once they give us a call, they say, hey, guys, we got this. We got this military vet. We got this police officer. We got this firefighter. We got this medic, whatever it is. Um, they can't come up with X, Y, Z. Well, if, if the bank's open, then Woody and I are going to go down right then. And we're going we're gonna to transfer the funds that they need. Um, and it's every time we need to go do that, and we especially go to the bank, like, what's this for? And we tell them, and I know they look at us. I mean, we get judged. We're both, we're tatted all out. We, we probably don't look like police officers, like, you know, what people really think. And they're probably like, oh, treatment. Oh, you guys are drug addicts. You guys are helping other addicts or whatever. But we don't say it. We're like, no, it's for PTSD and stuff. And, and when we get, when we get these phone calls back and there's, there's two that I remember one, uh, there was one, it was a, uh, we got a phone call. And it was a, well, he was, he was actually on the phone with a deputy's wife or somebody about it. And he, he sends me a text. Hey, we just got an email. Can you please call this person? And it was a trooper. And they said, Hey, we need, uh, we have all this, we have set up a bed, but we can't get him an airline ticket. And I said, okay, well get the airline ticket right now. Go all the way to Ed. When he gets time to pay, call me back and I'll, I'll do it. So they called me right back. I used our card. We paid for the airline ticket right there. They got him on the plane right then went off. The other one that really kills us is uh, 13. Uh, so we get, we get a 13 year old. Uh, we, we found out from the owners um, at Deer Hollow and they're like, they, they got this letter from a 13 year old yeah. daughter. Go ahead. We're, well, we're at our fundraiser. We're up on stage, you know, and we're just like, we're not about the glory. We're about the work. You know, it's about, you know, I think true warriors, they don't, they're not really after the glory. True warriors are just kind of like, you just do the work and let, let it, prosper right let, let your little thing prosper so we're sitting up there we don't even want the recognition but they called us up there this is at deer hollow it's a big golf fundraiser that we, that we do and the owner of deer hollow was contacted by a deputy i think he was a deputy a deputy's 13 year old daughter and she wrote she found she tracked him down found his address the owner of deer hollow and wrote him this letter a thank you letter to brothers in healing that had to be like oh my god it just gets me now uh but she basically said i just want to say thank you to brothers and healing because i feel like i have my father back my dad back uh he started isolating like chris and i did we didn't want to go out and do things in public we just kind of sat at home most of the time i gave up all, all of my hobbies nearly and that's exactly what this deputy had done and she talked about how all she wanted to do was have a father-daughter date night and go to the movies basically and, and her dad before treatment didn't want to do that and now now he's back and they're doing things together and he's back being a father again. And I can't tell you how good that win just felt so good inside, you know, and we've gotten phone calls from others that we've, we've helped for treatment and it, it does feel good. It really does. I'm humbled by it because mm -hmm. uh, the reason why we're called brothers in healing is because our healing never stops. We have to work constantly at it every day, every day. And when you fall, you get right back up. And you just work on it. You and and that's what we do. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what feels good is the fact that every day is a challenge, and you can you can win those days, and uh, uh, and you can help other people. And I know Chris talked about when we got off the plane to Deer Hollow last month. Oh yeah, we got a we got a we got a, a thing from Deer Hollow. Hey, we have two two people that need treatment. They can't afford it. I think we wired six grand over. Uh, separately, just right off of that, within 45 minutes, found a bank, got the wire done. That feels good. That feels a bit good, but, but that's not us. That's from the donors. That's from people actually trusting us and believing in us that, um, you know, that we can make a difference and change. And um, it, we're, we're part of a team and um, we're so grateful 
that we have these donors and Deer Hollow that gave us our lives back and people like you that are willing to get the message out. That's how we make change is we bond together. We stop being divided and separated and we come together and we say there is a problem. Let's work together to solve it. That's exactly what we're doing. And that's exactly what Brothers in Healing is about. It's a community event. It's not two dudes here. It's people behind the scenes that too many people to even get recognition. I can't, I could, I couldn't name all of our donors that we've had. We, we can name a few. We can name a few that have given us a, a, a substantial amount. And that money goes right into helping someone else out. And I got to tell you, it's money well spent because what, what's the world look like when our warriors are gone and they're killing themselves and there's no more first responders and there's no more military at 22 a day, 22 times 365. I'm not good at math. You have to do the math on that one, but it's not good. And to, to know that, to know that if they just could have maybe known about a treatment facility place like Deer Hollow that specializes in PTSD, we don't get any kickbacks from Deer Hollow, by the way. So when we mention them, it's, it's out of grace and gratitude because they gave us our life back and confronted us on our, on our bullshit that we were doing. You know, they, they had the courage to do that. So, you know, as, as we, I, I don't want to say wind this down because, you know, this is a continual thing, but as we move this along, you know, I'm the veteran sitting there listening to this. I'm the, I'm the, you know, I've got several Marine Corps friends of mine who are in law enforcement who, you know, tell me what their, their day is like. And, and you know, like the cost, the weight is, I keep hearing that word a lot. The weight's weighing them down. What do you want to leave them with about how uh, to move their life forward? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that helped me is this saying alone. It's okay to not be okay. Society will tell you there's this, you know, nice little ribbon at the end and there's this happy ending and all this Disney movie and Tinkerbell's going to show up and sprinkle fairy dust on you. Nope. That's not how it is. Every day is going to be a struggle. Yes, the weight is going to feel heavy because it's supposed to be. And it's okay to not be okay. But there's people out there like Chris and I that when things get too heavy for you, you got some brothers. We'll carry your weight too. We'll get you on the right track. Seek treatment because there's this saying, what is it, Mark Merrill? Hold on, pain, hope. Hold on, pain ends. It really does. I can, I can, I can look you in the eye right now, Travis, and tell you 100%. Some of the best years in my life has been the last couple of years that I've lived right now on this earth. Don't leave this earth. It will get better. It, it feels heavy and, and, and it, it, because it is heavy and it's okay to not be okay. You don't have to be perfect. You're supposed to feel this weight, period. How can people, because I want to put the links and everything in the Oscar Mike radio show post, but how, people, how can people get connected to Brothers in Healing and what you all do? So it's easy. You can go to our website. It's brothersinhealing.com. Okay. Um, we are on Instagram at, at brothersinhealing. Um, we have a Facebook too, but we're we're trying to we're trying to get better with this because we're not really we're not good with social media. But the best way is through the website, the brothersinhealing.com. Um, that has all of our information. It explains who we are. Uh, that we're not frauds because you know that's what you know when you go and you, you try to get funds and stuff to raise money. People always look at you like, okay, you just want money. We're like, well, no, here's why, you know, and, and we take our IRS paperwork in and says, look, this is what it is. Um, but that's the best way to get a hold of us. It has our event, our golf tournament event that's coming up um, in Utah. It has uh, who to contact there, how to raise money. We have a donation, uh, a button on there where people can donate to us. Um, and it, it all goes right in there. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that is the best way. Um, yeah. I even believe our phone, well, our, our phone numbers are on our, when we hand out our business cards, 
we, we give out our own cell phone numbers. Um, and I, I can't, I don't know if it's on there or not, but if yeah, you we, email us, we, we, we respond to everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll have all that in the Oscar Mike Rio show post. I want to tell you gentlemen something, you know, I've done, you know, quite a few of these and, you know, this is one that's going to stick with me for a while, you know, how open and candid and, and raw this was, is, is going to stay with me for a very, very long time. I want to thank you for that because it's, you know, there's a lot of fakes out there. A lot of people just trying to get social media likes or do a PR stunt. I didn't get that vibe at all. And I just want to thank you for that. No, hundred percent. Appreciate that. No, Chris and I, we, we believe if there's money in our account from our nonprofit at the end of the year, we didn't help enough people, period. That's what it's about. Giving back, giving back, helping other people. Well, I am with law enforcement officers, Chris and Woody. You can go to brothersandhealing.com and check them out. It's the second law enforcement show I've done here at Oscar Mike Radio. Maybe that's a sign that I can do some more because I think what they're doing applies to you know us in the military and as veterans. It's the same thing. You're hearing the same message. And you know, I don't want them to, I don't want any of you all who serve us in the community to you know commit suicide the same way I don't want any of my people in my community to commit suicide either so i think if we can get together we can do a lot of good so just thanks again for coming on and you know go to their website check them out appreciate it thank you again thank you so thank much you so what much. an honor thank you as we say in oscar mike radio we are mission in flight they are brothers in healing and like the missile like the, the mission it never ends gentlemen i'll see you soon and thank you god bless <laughs>